Hey, how, how's everybody doing? Isn't it a glorious day out today? Man, we were driving over this morning and started pointing out the mountain to my kids. And they're like, I can't see it. Well, yeah, that's right, because the sun's directly in your eyes as you're attempting to look at it. They were disappointed they couldn't see the snow. I said, well, it's a silhouette. You know, wait for this afternoon. You'll get to see it. It'll be good. But man, it's beautiful. Can you believe that it's already the end of October? Man, where is this time just absolutely flying? You know, I've been having a good time with you guys in this uh, message series, Better Together. We're actually wrapping it up today, Better Together. It's one of our core values. And for those of you who are maybe new here this morning, my name is Nathan Harris. I am the lead pastor here at Celebration Center. I'm so glad that you're with us, that you decided to make Sunday morning Uh, your Sunday morning part of our time together and worshiping Jesus. This is really good. But as I said, we're, we're concluding this series better together today, and it's one of our core values here. And here's how we put it. People matter to God, so we pursue authentic relationships, healthy families, ministries, and teams, and we do life with one another in small groups. So in short, this value is all about relationship. Relationship. We want relationship to drive what we do and how we do what we do. Not just any relationship, because let's face it, we can have relationship and still not be good together, right? It can be dysfunctional, it can be challenging, it can be all of those things. We want healthy relationships. So here is uh, the big idea we're working off of for this series. We are better together when we grow whole and healthy relationships. We accomplish our core value of better together when we grow whole and healthy relationships. And the why behind this is that God has actually created us as humans to be community. We looked at Genesis 1 and we saw that part of what it means to be a human being is that is that we are created as community. That's not something that we just add on to our lives. It's not something that we get to just come in and out of it, we're actually less human when we're not in community. God created us as community, okay? And as this community, we have a purpose. Our purpose is to join God in what he is doing, to follow him, to take his word out, to to bring his redemption into the places that we work, we play, we live, our families, our friends, even in the middle of our enemies, Okay, And the main ingredient in all of this is love. We cannot do any of this without love. So that's what we have been talking about in Better Together. And if you've missed any of the previous messages, I encourage you go to our website, ccpuallup.com, and you can click on the sermon podcast link and get caught up there. It'd be really good. This morning, as we wrap up the series, I want to leave us all with a way of life that integrates better together into every aspect of our lives. And it's summed up by our main thing this morning. Here it is. Better together is for every day. Better together is for every day. It's not something that we just do occasionally. It's not something that we do on special events like at Christmas or Thanksgiving or that, that's really good to be together and to be better together on those, in those times. But better together is actually something that we need to live every single day. So show of hands, who here knows that relationships are hard? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. <laughs> 
to yourself and or everybody around you. Relationships are hard, right? Relationships are difficult. They're messy. We don't often get what we want. Why? Because we come into relationships with a certain set of expectations, oftentimes left unspoken, that we place on ourselves, on other people. And when those other people don't make, meet those expectations, what do we do? We get mad, right? We start fighting. We start quarreling. James talks about this in, uh, oh my goodness, I think I gave you the wrong. <laughs> it's, it should be, yeah, James chapter four, sorry. James chapter four, verse one. A little inside joke there. I apologize. James says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, from your desires that battle within you? Now, when James talks about desires there, he is talking about things that we long for, things that we really, really want that probably, quite frankly, are not attached to Jesus. We have not submitted them to Jesus. These are things that we just think we should have, think that, that we are owed and so when those desires, when my desires come into conflict with your desires, we start doing this, okay? Doesn't that often sound like the relational issues that we face? Things that we want that we can't have. One of the things we talked about last week was humility. Valuing and lifting others above ourselves. Not that we don't take care of ourselves. Of course we do. We're called to do that because we can't take care of other people if we're not also watching ourselves. But the point is that in humility, we're lifting others up. We're raising them. We're saying, guess what? You matter. You matter. I don't always have to have the last word or be the most important one in the room or anything like that. And that is necessary for better together. But we also need an everyday commitment to each other that reflects the love God loves us with. Let me say that again. We need an everyday commitment to one another that reflects the love God loves us with. And Paul talks about this, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses um, 1 through, sorry I forgot my, uh, my passage there, 1 through 9. Wanted to make sure I had that. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and open up there. Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9. This is what Paul says. I'm reading out of the NIV. He says, therefore, verse one, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, these are people that Paul is very much invested in, okay? He wants the best for them. And so he's telling them, I, I, I love you guys. I want this for you. He says, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. What does it mean to stand firm? I remember one time I was house-sitting for some friends, 
Uh, it was a long summer thing, and they happened to have some cows. Anybody here have cows? I'm still getting to know everybody. Okay, nobody here has cows. I don't have to be afraid of this then. <clears throat> Ever happening again, at least not here. I was house-sitting for some friends, and they had some cows, and these cows were rather mischievous. And on more than one occasion, they had, I don't know if any of you have any experience around cattle, but the, these particular cows decided that they would actually lift the, their gate up off of its hinge and move it. They would use their heads to do this. They would move it, and then they'd get into a pasture that they weren't supposed to be in. And my friends told me, you got to watch out for this. Okay, and if they get out in the wrong one, you got to bring them back into the, the new one. And I'm like, yeah, right. Cowboy up, baby. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what happened, what, what's going on. And so I come to the house one day, and there are the cows in the wrong pasture. And I'm thinking, stink. This is bad. So what do I do? I, I call my best friend's mom because she grew up with cows. She knew all about cows, and she knew how to deal with them. And I said, help. I don't know what to do with these cows. And she said, all right, we'll be right over. So she and her daughter and somebody else comes over with them. And she says, okay, we are going to herd the cows into the, the appropriate area. And I said, great, how do I do that? And she said, I'm going to get them to move, and you simply stand in front of them, and they will turn and go to the right direction. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, cool, no problem. I'll stand in front of the cows. They'll just kind of mosey along and do their thing and go into the right. Well, no. What happened was the cows started running. The cows were running, and I'm standing there, and, and I'm, all I can think is, okay, she said to stand here, so I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand here. And the cows are coming closer and closer and closer, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to stand here. And I don't know if this was you know, some kind of really good divine lesson God was teaching me or, or what, but I, didn't, I did not have the foresight just to jump out of the way and say, forget this. The cows can stay in the pasture. I stood there, and guess what? I didn't get run over. <laughs> Okay, I, I was able, I didn't actually do the herding. I was just a barrier, basically a human barrier. But the cows moved. They went because I stood my ground. Okay. Paul says here in Philippians 4.1, he says, dig in. Dig in here. Stand firm in all circumstances every day in this way. Don't move. Don't move from this. Make this your way of life. So, what is this way of life, this everyday way of life that Paul is, is telling us to stand in? If you're taking notes this morning, number one on your outline, maintaining unity. That's number one. Better together every day through maintaining unity. Unity, you have to excuse me, I'm still getting over my cold. I got a question for you. Has anybody here participated ever in a three-legged race? I have. I don't like them. I try to avoid them. I don't like racing in general because it means I have to run. And I'm just kind of diametrically opposed to running. Um, <clears throat> but one of one of or the way to win a three-legged race, I am convinced, is unity in purpose, direction, and pace. 
You have to be unified in purpose, direction, and pace. If you are not unified in purpose, direction, and pace, this is what will happen to you. It's okay. Ta-da. There it is. Fun by all, right? We've all experienced these things. People falling. Here's what Paul talks about this. Philippians 2, or excuse me, 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. Pretty fun names. Euodia and Syntyche. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, in these two verses, Paul is getting very, very specific. He's getting very, very personal about a, a specific situation that is happening in Philippi that, that has to do with these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Apparently, these two ladies, because they are women, <clears throat> these two ladies have contended with Paul in the gospel. That means that they have been fellow workers of his. They have been side by side with him in helping him to spread the gospel, that they are going to the places that he's going to. They're, they're sending things that he needs. They're, they're, they're partnering. We read about this in, in, uh, in Philippians 1, but they're partnering with him in the gospel, with their very lives, and they have been doing it really well. But now there is a rift. There's a rift between two people who pr quite probably were pretty close friends at one point. You ever experienced anything like that? And so Paul, he says to his true companion, we don't know who this individual was, some, some commentators think that it was, it was somebody in the church it, or that it might have just been a way of Paul talking about the church itself. But he says, help these ladies. Help these ladies. So what do we see from these verses? That's the situation. What do we see? What are some things that we can take away from this? How do we maintain unity? I got a qu another question for you. Has anybody ever had a, a fairly simple task kind of pile up where you just haven't done it in a while? Maybe it's laundry or it's just kind of keeping an eye on the, the finances, balancing the checkbook. You know, it's not, it, maybe it takes a little bit of time, but it's not that hard, but then you let it go for a long time and things just pile up until now it's a mountain, right? You've got a mountain to get unburied from. Maintaining unity is a little bit like that. When we stay on top of it, small things stay small. But when we don't, they become big things. They become big issues and splits can happen. So how do we stay on top of unity? How do we keep track of this? How do we not allow it to become a problem area? We keep short accounts. That's what we need to do. Relationally, with each other, we need to keep short accounts. What do I mean by that? Well, when person one, I'm going to use, I, 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 I'm refraining from using anybody's names because I'm still getting to know everybody's names and I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm going to say person one here. Person one and person two. We've got two people. Person one has a problem with person two. 
So what needs to happen is that person one goes to person two and talks about it. They talk about it. And that requires that we're willing to listen to each other. Listening to understand, not not to just defend ourselves. Have you ever played ping pong? Where you're just batting the ball back and forth. You're just trying to defend. You're just trying to keep, uh, keep the ball from getting by you. Verbal ping pong is a little bit like that. Nobody ever gets to finish a thought because the other person is automatically defending what the other person has just said. Okay, that's not listening to understand. That's listening to defend my own position. Listening to understand is allowing somebody to speak to me what it is they are thinking, what they are feeling, what they are experiencing. And then what I do is I turn around and say, so what you're saying to me is, and I I, I give it back to them in my own words, not sarcastically, Okay, not, not in, in a way that, that is defensive, but is honestly trying to understand. And then I say, did I get it right? And if I didn't, then I say, okay, then explain it to me again. And the, the conversation keeps happening until there's understanding. That is the healthy way of dealing with conflict so that unity can be maintained. But this breaks down oftentimes. I've seen this numerous times. You have too. Person one has a problem with person two, but they don't go to person two to talk about it. They go to person three. Now what's happened? Yeah. You, what, what person one has now done is poisoned person three against person two. Unity breaks down. Bitterness rises. Okay? When we keep short accounts, we seek to understand. We keep the issue between those who are actually concerned about the issue. Not everything is my business. It's just not. And we move toward mutually beneficial solutions. What's the best outcome for both of us? Maybe we both don't get exactly what we want out of this, but but what's the best for everybody moving forward? That's unity. And we only bring others into the situation when we're at an impasse. It's not to gossip. It's not to get somebody on my side. It's simply so that the two of us can have help in moving forward in a healthy way. Does that make sense? We need to maintain unity. This one tool has the potential to save many relationships, friendships, marriages, work relationships, church relationships. We are better together every day when we maintain unity. Number two on your outline. We are better together every day through celebrating the gospel. We're better together every day through celebrating the gospel. In my family, we celebrate uh, each of my kids on a couple of specific occasions. First of all, there's their birthdays. Everybody's been born, right? We're all here, so we've all been born. Um, so we celebrate those. We love to celebrate birthdays. 
But because we adopted both of my kids, we also celebrate the anniversary of their adoption day. Some, some adopted parents, they call this the gotcha day. This is the gotcha, gotcha. All right, and we celebrate that. And you know how we celebrate those things, whether it's their birthday or their adoption day? We celebrate by recounting the story. We say, hey, once upon a time, mommy and daddy really wanted a little boy or a little girl. We prayed and we prayed and we go through, the, we go through what we experienced, some of the agony that we experienced. And, and in doing that, we're celebrating them and we're also celebrating what it is God has done in us. That is celebrating the gospel. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about celebrating the gospel. It's not merely having a sense of joy. It includes joy, but it's not just about being happy and having good feelings. It's about living in such a way that puts the gospel on display through the way that I live. That's celebrating the gospel. Here's what Paul had to say about this. We're going to look at the rest of this passage. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So he's talking about a way of living here. He's talking about, when he says, let your gentleness, this is kind of a, a shortened version of what we see in Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things. He's saying this life in the Spirit. Let your, let your life that is enveloped by Jesus and his Spirit be evident to everybody. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we're told to rejoice, we're being told to live every day in a way that celebrates God, his goodness, and the gospel. And we're called to do it together. Remember, Paul is talking to a group of people. He's not talking to one individual here. He's talking to a group of people. Celebrate together, he says. Celebrate together every single day. So here's how we do this. Letter A on your outline. Celebrate through prayer. Celebrate through prayer. He talks about prayer in, uh, in verses 6 and 7 here. One thing you need to understand is that in the pagan world, people lived with a general sense of anxiety. Do you know anything of what that's like? Living with this, oh, I don't know if I've got it. I don't know if, I'm, if I've got it down. I don't know if it's, if it's right. That's kind of how they lived all of the time. And part of the reason for that is because they had so many different deities, so many different gods or goddesses that they were worshiping, that they had to try to keep track of who they were making happy. 
Seriously, that's what they did. A lot of their sacrifices and their, their religious stuff was all to placate these different deities in the hopes that, the, that these deities would not be angry with them or at least not actively against them. And so there's this sense, did, did, did I do enough? Have I done enough? Have I made it happen well enough? Now, we don't live in a culture where people are largely concerned with a lot of different deities, per se, but we do live with a sense of dread and anxiousness, don't we? And it's usually related to a fear of lack, a lack of something in our lives, whether that is, is, uh, uh, has to do with position or money or, or friends or you name it. You can, you can put anything in there. Do I have enough? Paul tells us to celebrate God every day through prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't have this nervous activity that's just making you run frantic. Instead, he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the promise is that God's peace will guard us. We celebrate, celebrate by through prayer, together. We come together in prayer, knowing that God is good. The, the basis of this is not that we have to placate God, right? Jesus has already fulfilled all of the requirements. God is good. Old and New Testament affirm this a thousand percent. <laughs> God is good. We can rest on that. All we need to do is go to our good God and say, help. <laughs> That's it. And we can do that together. So here's some homework for you. Who can you come alongside with and share your needs in prayer with? Who can you do that with? Who in your life? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a small group person. Who in your life can you join together in prayer with? Where you can encourage each other and build each other up through this process. What do you need to take to God rather than being anxious about it? I, I forget what the the exact number is, but I, I once came across this statistic that said that, that most, and it was like, oh my goodness, I want to say it was 75 or 80%, maybe it was higher, of the fears that we actually encounter are completely unrealistic. <laughs> There's just nothing that, that, that is probably ever going to happen to us. And then think about it. A lot of the other things that we, we are afraid of, how much functional control do we really have over those things anyway? We can take it to God. We don't have to be anxious. In maintaining unity, we are called to celebrate the gospel through prayer together. We lift each other up. We pray with and for one another. That's part of how we celebrate. Letter B on your outline. We celebrate 
through dwelling on good. We celebrate through dwelling on good. Have you ever been around somebody who is just negative all the time? Or it's, it, it just kind of feels that way? What's, what's the mood like? Think about, you don't have to answer out loud. Just think about what, what's the mood like? What, what kind of things tend to happen in the relationship or, or in, in events and things that you're going, you know, it, it's usually not good, right? It kind of just brings things down. I, I know personally, not too, too long ago, I was hurt by somebody and I got negative. I got negative. I started thinking about how I had been wronged and how I had been hurt. And it was amazing how quickly my attitude changed and became very, very dark. I went to a dark place. That's what happens when we dwell on things that aren't good. Now, I'm, there is, please do, do not think that I am talking about sweeping bad things under the rug. There is reality and there are things that we have to deal with. But when we are focused on what, all of the wrong in the world, and there is plenty wrong, turn on the news. When we focus our attention on the wrong, on the bad, on the dark, then we become dark. That's what happens. We become like the person Jesus talked about in Matthew 18 who was forgiven the giant debt by the king. And then that same servant goes out and shakes down one of his fellow servants for a much smaller debt. That's what life becomes like. When we're focused on all the bad and destructive then we're much more likely to be focusing inward. Protecting what we view as important. And when we do that, we tend to try to get others to join us in our negativity. We destroy unity and plant seeds of discord. But when we come together and we choose together to celebrate God's goodness, his love, his grace, then we're actively building unity. We're rallying together. We won't have space for focusing on the harmful and on the destructive things. Not that, again, not that we don't recognize them or call them what they are. The Bible tells us to. Okay, the Bible does tell us, God tells us in the word that we need to stand up for truth, that we need to stand up for right, but we're also told to keep our eyes, where? On him. Keep our eyes on him so that when we encounter harmful in each other we can confront it lovingly and we can build each other up so here's some more homework for you what patterns of thinking do you need to replace this is a tough one what patterns of thinking do you need to replace what areas of your your life are you thinking you know what i'm owed this thing, whatever the this thing is for you. And I don't get enough of it, and so I'm just mad. What do you need to replace? What are the patterns that bring you down and keep you focused on things other than the goodness of God? 
What can you share with others around you that will help you and them to dwell on the goodness and faithfulness of God? A little bit like the way that my wife and I tell our kids their story. Who can you share your story with, with how God has been working in you? How he has saved you? What Jesus has done in you? Celebrate through dwelling on good. And, let's, and we do that together by holding each other accountable to it. We can, you know what? I, I know you're going through a rough time. Let's look at what God is doing, how, how, he's, how he has been faithful. Not that we don't mourn with people who are mourning. Of course we do that. We don't just slap a happy sticker on something and say, hey, it's all good, when it's not. But we focus on the goodness of God. He's good all of the time, even when I don't get it. Letter C on your outline. Celebrate through practicing good. Celebrate through practicing good. I've had a few people in my life who I really want to be like. And I'm not talking about sports stars or anything like that. But people, individuals, who even though they have their own hang-ups, they, they have something in their life that I want. Not, not in an evil, jealous way where I'm coveting something, but I see, man, they've, they've got, there's this aspect of their life. They've got some peace in their life that I want to have. So what do I do? I start to imitate them. I start to do things, some, of the, some things the way that they do them so that I can get those things. That's what Paul talks about when he encourages the Philippians to imitate him. To put into practice what they've seen in him. For me, I, I learned my, worth, my work ethic from my dad. I will never forget, I was probably, oh, six or seven years old. We were living in the Sacramento area. We were out front washing the car, and I was all excited. Hey, yeah, Dad, I want to help you wash the car. And I started helping <laughs> wash the car. And then I did what every little kid does. I got bored. It wasn't fun anymore, right? And so... What did I do? I tried to escape. I'm done. I'm going to go in the house. I'm going to play with my toys. And I will never, ever forget what my dad told me. He looked at me, and he wasn't mad. He wasn't angry. He wasn't anything like that. He just looked at me and said, Nathan, when a man says he's going to start something, he finishes it. When you say you're going to start something, you finish it. And I, you know what? I watched my dad. My dad had all kinds of hang-ups. We all do. But one of the things I really admired about my dad was his work ethic. The things that he started, many of the things that he started, sometimes they were tough, sometimes they were hard, but he pushed through. They weren't always perfect, I can show you a dining room table that isn't. <laughs> but he finished it, and I learned that from him, and I want to implement that. I've watched my father-in-law love and lead with grace and compassion, dealing with staff members, me being one of them, <laughs> who sometimes grouse and complain about life and what's happening. 
and he just listens. And, and, and he confronts, but he also comforts. And I want to be like that. I've watched other people who have, when life goes sideways, what their first reaction isn't to get mad and stomp their feet and you know roll around on the floor screaming and kicking about how unfair it is. Their number one reaction is to go to Jesus and say, help. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Who in, in our midst can we imitate? What heroes in the faith can we emulate? Can we begin to begin just practicing what they do as we grow and become more and more mature in Jesus? What might happen? This is our homework. What might happen as a community if we did this? I'm not talking about elevating somebody and setting them up on a pedestal next to Jesus and saying, okay, you're good. I'm saying finding some aspect and emulating that, putting it into practice. We celebrate the gospel and maintain unity when we practice what is good. Why? Because we're too busy practicing what's good to engage in what isn't. Right? There's a replacement pattern that happens here. We exchange one thing for something else. And we get better and better at it, even if we start out kind of stinking at it at the beginning. Anybody here who has learned to play a musical instrument knows that it takes time, effort, energy. It takes practice. It takes going over it over and over and over and over until you get that muscle memory going in your fingers, in the way that you hold the instrument. And then from there, you're able to increase what you're able to do. That's how we need to live. When we make these things the bedrock of our relationship together, when we celebrate the gospel and maintain unity together, we are building whole, healthy relationships. Because even when we come into conflict with somebody else, it can still be healthy. A healthy outcome can still happen. This is how we stand firm every day. This is where we need to dig in. I'm going to have the band come back up. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are good. Thank you so much that our goodness is not dependent on, on our accomplishments in terms of making ourselves good enough. but it's based on what you are producing in us as we are submitting ourselves to you. Lord, we want to we want to make this our stand here today. That we would stand firm in this way. 
celebrating you, celebrating your goodness, your gospel, your life, and actively pursuing unity with others, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, and it will be. Jesus, I just I ask that you would have mercy on us in all of our hang-ups and all of the, the different things that we are prone to. God, that the enemy would not be able to use those things as an example and in pointing to us of saying, look, you messed up here, so you may as well just give up. Because that's not what you've called us to. You've called us to life in you. So live your life in us. We open ourselves to you, Jesus. We ask you, live your life in us every day. Maybe you're here and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower yet, but you want to. You want to be joined to Jesus. You want this goodness that God has for all of us. And so I'm going to say a prayer. Just make it your own. Father, I need you. I need your life in me. I've lived life on my own. And I've made a mess of things. I need your goodness. So I ask that you would take my life, that you would take all of it, all of the mess, all of the good stuff, everything in between, and that you would fill it with you, that you would bring it into yourself and make it part of what you are doing in the world. Make me part of what you are doing. Make me part of your family, I pray. God, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, I pray that they would understand that they are now part of us. They're one of us. They're part of this family. And help all of us together, God, to remember that, that we are a family. That you have created us to be a family and to move forward together, to be better together. Help us to pursue every good thing in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you all stand with me? We're going to sing one of the songs we sang earlier this morning. We're going to sing a little bit more of it today. And I, I just, I want to ask you, make this part of your declaration of standing firm in this place, of being better together, of living toward better together. And then when we're done, I'll come back up and wrap us up. Lord, that is our prayer. Make us into everything you want us to be as a community, as individuals. Thank you that you are at work, that you are continuing to work. In Jesus' name, amen.